0: Hello, this is Good One, a podcast about jokes. I am your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. If this is your first time listening, hi, hey, how's it going? Good, glad to hear. Each episode I have a comedian on, or a writer or a director to play and talk about one of their jokes. And and this week's guest is creator Freaks and Geeks and director of Bridesmaids, The Heat, Spy, Ghostbusters, Paul Feig. I know, very exciting, very cool and it's good it's a good episode so here's the thing the scene paul chose to focus on is really visual it's the knife fight scene from spy and it's very cool and very funny but there isn't much talking it's just kind of like slicing and frying pan clonks and you know we're going to play the audio for context and i think the conversation will make sense regardless but if you do have a second you know google around and try to watch it online I should note that Paul uh, picked a slightly longer version of the scene from the unrated cut of the film, you know, but it's essentially the same. There's just a few more jokes thrown in. So set the stage just a little bit, the fight is between Melissa McCarthy, who plays the titular spy, and Nargis Vakery, who plays, you know, a bad guy in the movie. It's not that important. Um, so I should also note, we're going to spoil spy, like, throughout the entire interview. So... Just be prepared for that. You're not going to be able to skip around to miss the spoilers. There's just going to be spoilers. Just be forewarned. Like, the scene we're playing, there's this big spoiler at the end that I'm going to tell you, like, right now, which is Jude Law, who used to be Melissa McCarthy's partner in the movie and we actually thought was dead, shows up to reveal he's actually working with the bad guy. And it's like, what? The interview was recorded live at Vulture Festival LA back in November. So if you like the picture of the room it's in, it, you know, it was like a long room and there was chairs, white chairs, and two columns, also white. And then behind us, there was a screen that said, Good One Podcast Live. And Paul Feig was there and I was there and it was so nice and fun. And now, and now you'll get to experience it, which is also nice and fun. So, Here is the scene in which Paul Feig and I will be talking about. Just start imagining the funniest kicks and punches you can, and then it will be Paul and I. Enjoy! Yeah, i You know, two smart, pretty brunettes, kind of breaking each other down. I mean, you look, similar to a gal I was in college with. Things happen. I think we all dabble. It's mostly just kind of stuff with hands and... God, I can't wait to kill you. Thanks for your weapon. You know, it's been inside you, so I don't think it should go inside me, okay? Get up! Get up. Get up. You are under arrest by Susan Cooper and the government of the United States. I didn't. He did.
1: Hello, Coop.
0: Now the director behind that scene, Paul Feig. Uh
1: Hello. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. So kind to of, you. My gosh, thank you. This is so nice. Thanks for coming out and, and coming to see me. Yeah. Did they charge you money for this? I owe you all. Um, so let's start a, a bit before
0: the shooting of the scene or even the, the writing of the scene of the, the idea itself, mm-hmm. you, Paul Feig, James Bond fan, you know, make the decision to make a spy-type movie, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of the decision of making a comedy with a female spy, you know, one on a practical level in terms of this is how you're going to spend your time, do you want to make a spy movie?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, like you say, I was a giant fan of the, of the Bond series, and I love action movies, it's my dirty secret, I really love, especially Hong Kong movies, because yeah. I, I like bodies in motion and fighting and that kind of thing, and just, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of sort of superhero movies because there's no... To me, I have a hard time investing in the stakes of a person that get punched through a building and then kind of shake it off and come back. You know, I, I like the idea of, like, you know, you're in real danger. And so, you know, so I wanted to make a... By film and then you know it was kind of like well okay I got to use you know I write it for all the great you know actresses that I, I work with yeah. and I honestly didn't write it with Melissa in mind at all because she was going to be busy doing something else so I, I just kind of wrote it in general and then when she had read it you know she asked me what I was doing and said I told her she said oh my god I love those kind of movies and she read it and called me the next day and said like I got a star in this yeah. which was music to my ears <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it's not often you get that kind of call um, but I just So my goal with everything I do in my career is try to, I love genres, first Sorry. of all, just fun to play in a genre that is, exists, and then you can play with the tropes and sort of twist them. And then, you know, since I love to put, put my, my amazing ladies in, in the, these movies, you can really have fun twisting that. But I also never want to do a parody or a satire mm-hmm. or anything like that. I want to do an actual spy movie that is funny, but it's funny because of the characters and the situations they get themselves into. But it's serious. I have a hatred of there's certain movies that I think are really funny that play in this genre. Yeah. But they always tend to make the villain. He's silly. And, and so there's no stakes. Like, like if there's no real danger, it, it, I think there's nothing to kind of latch on to. Yeah. And I'm an enormous Jackie Chan fan. And so, yeah, and so why his movies work so well, I love Bruce Lee too, one of my favorites, but <laughs> Bruce Lee's always in control of the sure. situation. Jackie Chan, if you watch and study his movies, he's never in control of the situation. <laughs> he's always in a panic. The fight scenes, he always looks like he doesn't know what's coming next. And so for me, that's, you know, it's like, that's what I want. I want to do something where the audience is the character. You are Susan Cooper. You have these dreams of, of that you could be a great spy. You think you could do great things, but then you get out there and it's like, you're in over your head, but then you kind of find the fortitude to, to come forward and, and, and persevere. Yeah. But at the same time, you're never in control of the situation yeah. until maybe the very end.
0: So, so how do you literally write a movie? Like, how do you, what do you do to sit down? Do, do you make an outline? Where do you write? How long does it take? What do you wear to write?
1: <laughs> You're looking at it. Uh, <laughs> respect for the craft, right? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, it, it, depends, it depends on what the project is. I mean, I've got some things that I've written that were were very heavily outlined. I mean, i got the cards up and everything. I won't even go into it until yeah. I know exactly what it is. And then other movies like Spy... I, you know, again, this is where it's great with a genre. You go like, okay, if you set up a thing, then you know, you know, there's a nuclear bomb that's going to be sold. We've got to stop the sale of that. Then I know what my end point is. She's got to stop that. Yeah. So this is one of the few times I actually went into something without an outline. I just kind of knew what I wanted to do. And I said, I'm just going to start writing this and see where it takes me. What The fun was of that is I was able to surprise myself the way that I was going to surprise the audience by boxing myself into a corner. So I'd always go like, okay, let me box myself in somehow, and then what's the most clever way for her to kind of figure out how to get out of it? And it was one of the most fun scripts I've ever written, I have to say, and and, uh, it just kind of poured out of me, oddly.
0: So I can't remember who had this sort of debate, but a film writer, screenwriter, was, was talking about and why he didn't necessarily write female female protagonists, because as a male, he felt he couldn't write to them, know how to write them. And then a a female, I think, journalist was like, you just make your male character a woman. And I felt like that was overly simplistic in so much as any sort of specific good character would have some sort of relationship to they are. So what do you do, especially for a film like this, which you did not write with a partner? Where where you didn't write with a female writing
1: partner. Right. You know, I mean, honestly, I have a harder time writing male characters, to be (laughs) quite honest. I don't, I I just, I, I just, I've always, my friends have always been girls and women, and it's just who I, the circles I've always run in. I've always kind of, for the most part avoided guys other than my nerdy kind of compatriots who, you know, we're all fairly feminized, I guess, in in a way, (laughs) you know? And so I just, I am able to kind of relate to those characters Mm -hmm. a little more. Honestly, I think I probably, my worst writing is always on the male characters in all my projects, which the internet is always happy to tell me. (laughs) Um, Those MRAs, man, they love me. Um, um, But so... But, it, but it's a process. I mean, I kind of face it with sort of what I feel are the foibles uh, in issues that, that, you know, anybody normally would go through and then try to, you know, relate it to women that I've known and in sort of my take on the world. But then it's so much about, you get that right and you don't, cause, the, the weird advice about what that guy said was: yeah. you don't want you don't want just an interchangeable. We go, oh, it could be a man or a woman because yeah. then there's no DNA in that. Like you know, there's different things that we're insecure about, even though insecurity is universal. But that's sort of the thing that runs through everything I do: is insecurity yeah. and underdog and trying to figure out your place in in, in life. But then once it's finished, then I deputize. All the women in my life, my producing partner, Jessie Henderson, who's amazing. She's, uh, she, she calls me on everything. Then when Melissa comes in like have her call me on everything, you know, and it, it's really, and then just always having the actresses that I work with weigh in and say, like, we wouldn't say that because I'm still a guy. I'm still yeah, going to yeah. like write stuff and they're like, okay, that what I <laughs> said. But as opposed to going like, no, you say like this, it's like, cool, yeah. please tell me, tell me how you would do it. and Let's figure out the way to move forward on that.
0: So I now talking about this scene in so much as like a film script is a puzzle and then each scene is the piece that makes sense for that. Regardless of the actual content of what happened, what do you think, in terms of where you're at the script, what needed to happen in this scene? You know, what is, what is sort of what did it fulfill, regardless of what it then ended up being?
1: Well, the thing, I, you know, I, I make comedy, uh, but I like to treat it seriously, like, like I said earlier. But what I never want is for the f- action I do in a comedy to just devolve into mayhem or just be like, okay, we're going to put the comedy on hold. And now look at all these cool stunts and cool shots. As an audience, you'd be like, oh, "Okay, like we've seen all that stuff." Yeah. So, and I think the stakes go out of it then too, because you're like, oh, "The cars racing around, or okay, they're fighting." So it's always like, "What, what are the moments? You have the action. What's the funny moment? You have the action, but what, but based on the character and based on things that are going forward, you, you just need to have those those checkpoints. I mean, there's another scene in Spy where you know she has the big car chase on the scooter." And you know, in the middle of it, she goes off this ramp and thinks she's so badass, and she lands in you know cement and she's kind of stuck <laughs> in cement. You, you know, so you need those moments to remind people like, okay, this is fun, but but'm still it's helping me root for the yep. character you know what I mean the fact you know, again, this is so Jackie Chanish, just the fact that she's completely out of her out of her <laughs> c- control, you know just using a pan to kind of you know protect herself, but at the same time, I wanted this to sort of build her confidence more, but it also needed to build to the reveal that uh, that and character is yeah. alive. Um, and, and this is this actually the scene that I showed is from the extended cut yes. because we ended up cutting out the thing where she stops her and you know, talks about the stuff with hands in college and all that, which was so funny. But again, as we were test screening it, even though it was funny, like sometimes you, you have to be so brutal when you're putting together a comedy because even though stuff gets a laugh, it can add up to making people sort of lose the stakes. And that was one thing which just kind of like, even though it was funny, it was like, well, okay, well, why would the bad guy kind of stop and listen to this thing in the middle? you know? <laughs> and so it was very sadly kind of popped it out knowing, okay, that's the greatest thing about aftermarket yeah. <laughs> DVDs and now streaming is that, you know, the babies that you are so desperately don't want to see go away, you can put them in the extended cut.
0: We'll get to the fight choreography next, but just what what do you put in a script for a thing like this that essentially has, like, three lines spoken? Like, what do you write out that you... Then, no, you'll revisit when you're actually... Eating.
1: I write it in great detail. I mean, I would never put down, they fight, you know, because <laughs> that's where those mayhem sequences yeah. come from of like, you know, then, you know, sometimes a second unit director goes off and he shoots a bunch of stunts and then you put it together. No, I, I write very, I want logic. Like she comes in, she, has, she hits this, she pulls this thing, she falls, oh, wow. she goes over the thing. Yeah, because I, I, it needs to track like a story. Um, that escalates and all that, so it's very detailed. And that, the studios are always kind of go. You don't have to write all that out. It's like I have to write it out. Yeah, yeah. Like if I did, you know, I can give you a script that says, you know, they fight, but uh, <laughs> yeah, am yeah, not, not in the mood to do that. You said you didn't write this from
0: listen, in mind, but you know, you famously wrote an incredibly long show bible for Freaks and Geeks. So you you are a person who would go deep into what a character is. For this, you know, are you then essentially writing ninety percent of the character and figuring out that whoever the actress is will sort of
1: bring the other um, you, well yeah you, you, you know you write the character because the character you know is everything is character obviously yeah. so in all the you know whatever themes I want to put into there and every, anything that I really you know ex- I always put whatever experience I've gone through I to channel it through a character and you know and this is kind of based on having you know i worked with judd a bunch judd abatow and then when i stepped away from him to do the heat i remember feeling very like can i do this can i not you know and so then i from there kind of said oh what if this person out in the basement has this person over them and so that she's lost her confidence because she's you know good through him you know so it was kind of a way of of addressing that Mm -hmm. and then then you take it and, and run with it um so that's all there and then once you figure out who you're going to cast then you then you do the 10% 20% switching it to them the irony was this character i mean melissa slipped into it very easily it was it was pretty close to the way that she wanted to play it anyway and the way that mm-hmm. i saw it so it, it was it was nice it was just her more checks and balances on things that she thought you know were too over the top or this or that you know and then that's we always the great thing about finding somebody that you're in sync with is you you have the same yeah. you know, uh, way of thinking of things. So it's not like I'm like, I want to be big and crazy and she <laughs> wants to be small. Like we, we love to push it right up to the edge, but we never want to go over. And um, you know, so that's the fun collaboration. Can you say anyone else you thought might be able to do it? Well, I mean... Kristen, I thought, yeah. Could have could have killed it too. Um, you know, but but it's you know, it, but Rose, I mean, there was a point where I thought actually Rose could play this too. And then then when Melissa came available, it was like, wait, Rose can play can play Raina, who Raina was originally written to be like this kind of bratty rich teenager. Mm-hmm. Um and then when I found out Rose was available, I said, like, cool, I just like hired her on the spot for it and then went like, Wow, I really gotta revamp this whole role for her. And that was the fun part is she came in with Melissa and we did this little rehearsal which I like to do like a few months out have them read through and then try to figure out what the character was and when when Rose first was reading it as written it just didn't work at all it's not her fault at all it just was it was like too crazy you know and so we're like well how do we do this and what I love about Rose is she's one of the only people I'll let not use her real accent because she's so good at channeling herself through another accent so we started playing with different accents and it was about an hour in, after trying all these other things, where it was like, well, just try British." And the minute she like went to this sort of just cold place with this British accent, suddenly those original lines worked really well because they weren't being played sort of like crazy. They were being played very serious and saying these horrible things to Susan, but in a way that she thinks they're nice. And she was <laughs> like, "Oh my god!" So... And the minute we, the minute she locked in on that, is like, "Okay, cool. That's great. Yeah. I know how to rewrite the script now. I know and I know what to do." Uh, I wanted to ask you about.
0: Melissa, um, do you remember the first time you met her or saw her perform? Yeah, because I think a lot of writers they see comedic talent, but like I want to write for them. Do you remember specifically with Melissa?
1: Well, no, it was very specific. It was (laughs) we were putting together bridesmaids. And had been looking at everybody. I, you know, Melissa and I had been on parallel paths in the comedy world for years. I had never, ever seen her. I'd never met her. I'd never seen her, I'd never seen her work because I, I didn't watch Gilmore Girls and those things. So we were deep into the process on, on uh, Bridesmaids and we hadn't found Megan. We'd found some people that were pretty good, but just didn't feel right. And late in the game, uh, Kristen said, oh, you got to, Kristen and Annie, uh, Mumlo said, you got to see our friend uh, Melissa. She performs with the Groundlings. People Line up around the block whenever she performs. I'm like, cool, okay, bring her in. She comes in, and her take on the character was so different than anything we had seen that it took me about 15 to 30 seconds to realize it was funny. Because <laughs> she's doing this thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like, and I'm trying to process it. Then you suddenly go, like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> But I kind of thought, I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. She's playing it like this kind of gay character. That's really cool. And so I go, oh, let's do an improv like, like where you're trying to, you know, get Andy to go out with you one night. And so she goes and thinks like, yeah, we're gonna get in there. We're gonna get all these guys. We're just gonna rip them apart. And I was just like, oh wait, so it's not gay, but it's like. <laughs> and then I was like, this is getting even more brilliant as it goes along. And I just absolutely fell in love with her yeah. then. And then we were just like, she has to be in the movie. And what happened was originally in the film that scene in Bridesmaids if you've seen it where they're on the couch and she beats her up and you know says get your life together that was originally written there there was a runner of this um like a call center in Mumbai that kept calling Annie to get her to pay her debts and all this stuff and collect on bills. And she kept like hanging up on her and all this. And then that woman called up and said, like, don't, you know, stay on the phone. And she's the one that kind of read her the riot act and changed her life. Well, as we're doing rehearsals and putting it together, it's like, why would we want to waste that on this character that we would never kind of meet versus here we've got Melissa, who's like laying down her advice all the way through. She should be the one that comes over yeah. and beats the shit out of her. And, you know, and then it would just, I mean, you know, it just worked out so well. I was once talking to Christian Schaal about Kristen Wiig, and she
0: described Kristen Wiig as the most precise comedic performer she's ever worked with. And I thought that was a very good encapsulation of sort of like what Kristen's, Kristen Wigg's superpower kind of is.
1: You know, what would you say is the thing that Melissa has that is uncommon? She's a great actress. So first and foremost, she's a great actor, and and that's the biggest thing because there's I know plenty of funny people who are hilarious, and I can bring them in for you know a day or two, and they'll they'll kill it. But to be able to hold a movie that long and to sell it as real and make you care about if you're laughing at this character, but you care about them, you have you're invested in their stakes. That is that is being a great actress, and then the ability to then into that keep the funny, but in a funny in a way that it doesn't subvert the reality of the character, that's, I mean, that's such a crazy tightrope to walk, and there's, you know, not that many people who can do it that flawlessly. Uh, When I worked with Steve Carell, he was another one who was just masterful at that, and this is why he never won an Emmy for The Office, because he made it look so easy, you know, and it's not. He worked so hard on that, but that's the problem. That's why comedy just doesn't win awards, because if we do it right, it just looks easy. Everybody goes, like, well, you just showed up and you were funny. It's like, yeah, (laughs) no, we weren't. Uh, you know, versus drama can be very showy. Yeah. But it's fine. We'd rather, I, we'd rather not have awards. Let's just, I, I'd rather be the movie that people watch, you know, 10, 15 times and <laughs> cheer up with, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh,
0: so let's talk about this fight scene. You know, walk me through the process of working with a fight coordinator and figuring out how to get character and comedy
1: into a fight scene. Yeah. Well, this, I, I had, you know, when I did the, the heat had some stunts in it, but it was, our stunt coordinator was was, was fine, but I didn't realize how, when you get to the, the top guys, how specific they work. And so we'd met a bunch of guys, and, uh, and they were all kind of blowhards a little bit. Uh, I love the stunt community. They're my favorite. But sometimes the stunt coordinators, coordinators especially the guys who have been around forever, sometimes kind of come in like, all right, we'll show you how it's done, kid. And so we met a bunch. I was like, I don't know. And then this guy, J.J. Perry, came in who did, like, a bunch of stuff in John Wick and all this. So he shows up, and he's the most excitable guy I've ever met. He used to be a Marine. And he's all like, yeah, we got these things. And he's really into, you know, all these really crazy action scenes. But what he did, he goes like, "Oh, let me show you how I work." Opens up a laptop and shows me that he films all these things before. So they just with like an, with an iPhone, they go into this, you know, they have their stunt area, their their headquarters, and they'll set up like cardboard boxes to approximate the set, and then they shoot the scene. And, and they lay in all these, you know, kind of after effects mm-hmm. of like gunshots and blood and all this stuff they <laughs> want. And so they really produce these things. But what is a director? Then you go like, Oh my God. So when they, you know, so when the minute I saw that, I was like, You are hired because this is such a great way to work. Then he went to work with, um, with Walter Garcia, who JJ the stunt coordinator for the overall thing. Walter Garcia is the, the fight coordinator. And they work together. And so they did the scene and then they would bring it to me and I'm like, "Oh cool, well you know actually we could use a gag here or I actually want a little more action here, or I want, you know, so you're able to fine tune, they go back and do it again and then they start bringing you stuff and at the same time they they will come up with jokes too. I mean, they you know, they were coming up with things like, you know, the the pan blocking you, you know, <laughs> your yeah. tender areas, that kind of thing. <laughs> and like in another sequence in Spy when she um, you know, when she <laughs> accidentally stabs the guy and then he falls off and she throws up on him. <laughs> that was one of the first things I wrote was that she threw up on the guy but then when they put together their thing then they're the ones that she throws up and she's horrified she drops the knife and then the knife goes into him. <laughs> like that was them. Yeah. So a long way of saying what I love about this, this is what I love about filmmaking, it's like, the collaboration is so great. I, I'm so I hate the whole auteur thing. It's all it's all me. Look, I'm the director. I get credit for it no matter what. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. <laughs> it's like, why not empower everybody around you to bring you all these ideas, have their creativity going, bring you all this stuff, and then you're the ringmaster going, like, yeah, no, no, oh, change this, change that. So we had it all, and then once we get, you know, then we get to the set, then it morphs even more, because then it's like, oh, it'll be funny here, let's try this, and Melissa's got ideas, and then we start fine-tuning there, because, you know, it's bodies in motion, and, and it's also, the, the talent is doing it at that point. You know, and then Nargis Falkery, who plays the, the, the assassin in this, who a bollywood uh, star. Uh, you know she was such a trooper because she came in she'd never done a fight scene like this before but you know they they worked you know with the stunt people in the days beforehand and Melissa was working with a stunt coordinator here in LA rehearsing it all. So they came in ready to go. This is the first that was the first thing that Melissa shot on the entire movie. <laughs> Literally like welcome to Budapest. I know you're jet lag. You're going to fight in a kitchen for 2 hours yeah. for 2 days. And it was 2 days, two full days of shooting that.
0: Hi, it's Jesse, the, the host of the podcast you're currently listening to. And I want to take a second to recommend another podcast you can listen to, you know, whenever this one's finished. It's called By the Book. It's, it's half reality show, half self-help podcast, and one wild social experiment. So in each episode, comedian Jolenta Greenberg and her skeptical friend Kristen Meinzer live by a different self-help book, following all the rules down to the letter, I guess more specifically down to the period of the last sentence in the book. Uh, and the hope is to figure out which of these are actually helpful. Uh, they've covered a lot of the books you're probably thinking about. The Secret, Men Are for Mars, Women Are for Venus, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. So it, it it's funny, but it's also serious because it's self-help, and but it's them. So you, it's your help, but via themselves. And it's books, but you don't have to read, which is good because books is a lot of words, and you have to know what they all mean. it's like, oh, my God. But now you can just listen to them because they've already read the books. So to listen to the show, just search for Buy the Book in Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast app you use. And you can learn more about the show by going to panoply.fm slash podcast slash buy the Book. That's panoply.fm slash podcast slash buy the Book. Now back to the show. I, I was wondering because Melissa is such a gifted and specific physical performer. You know, mm-hmm. like, there's things... I always say she throws things funny. Like, when she throws something, for some reason, it's the funniest thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and... But also, you I have to imagine there's some amount of... <laughs> what is what a stunt actors called? Stunt men or, and women. Yeah. So how, how do you shoot something like that in, on a practical level to make sure you have the physicality of Melissa, but also, like, boun- bouncing back and forth so that you have stunt people?
1: First of all, it's her learning it so well that then she can play with it so it's like a dance it's like the first time you learn to dance you're very stiff by the time you got it down you can really you know morph into it but also having stunt your stunt doubles who these great stunt people are amazing because they study the way that people Mm -hmm. move and are able to you know to parrot it and uh lucy romberg is her stunt double in this and then doubled her on all of uh, the rest of Melissa's movies going forward. But she's a real, you know, she's a chameleon sort of physically and can pull that off. But that said, you know, Melissa wanted to do a ton of it. And she had a torn meniscus during this too. So it was like she showed up, it was like, oh, my God, Melissa, like you're injured. But, but she, you know, she powered through it. But she wanted to be in there doing as much as she could. And there was only some, you know, some things that just were, you know, I didn't want her to get hurt and all yeah. that. So we kind of pulled her out. But she went for it. So for shooting, actually shooting it, you know, you, you've talked a lot
0: about when you shoot comedic scenes, especially with a lot of improv, you'll cross-shoot, so, uh, which,
1: is, for those who don't know, you're essentially two cameras facing both people, so you yeah. can get people's reactions. Yeah, I'd, be, I'd have a camera there filming me and camera filming you at the same time, so that we could
0: so surprise like this, each other. Yeah, so for a scene like this, you know, one, where if, the, if is there any room for improv, and how do you then shoot comedically, since there probably is a lot of restrictions because you have to do a certain sort of the dance of it
1: no i mean it's you know you're in control of all this stuff so you know we were throwing in things like why didn't why did i get rid of my gloves and these kind of things <laughs> and the whole thing that she i mean she improv that whole thing about like wait a minute wait a minute you know that was just because we had some stuff written that she was going to stop and kind of make the speech and some some of those lines were kind of in there but then she took it and ran with it so and just finding your moments, really. Although, you know, we had a bunch of, you know, we're also writing a lot of alt lines yeah. and jokes, so there's a bunch of different things for that. When she, you know, what came out to be, you got a lot of rage in that jumpsuit. There was a bunch of other alts for that. I can't remember <laughs> where they are. They're on the, we string them all together. They're on the DVD. Um, but, you know, but again, this is the other thing with, with doing comedy is you've got to get a lot of alts. You have to have a lot of different jokes. So when you get into a test screening, if you put up a joke and it doesn't work, you're not like dead. You go like, okay, let's switch out this other joke because, you know, I can sit around, we can all sit around all day and go like, this is going to kill. And we're right about 50% of the time, (laughs) you know, but that, so it's fun to have all that stuff because you never know what the thing that an audience is going to respond to. You never know.
0: I always wondered, you know, how the alt system (laughs) works, you know, like there's, are there writers sort of standing behind you and passing you pieces of paper? Yeah, that's pretty and, much it. <laughs> yeah. oh, I figured it out.
1: I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I we always, you know, I, I, this, this one, since I wrote it, I didn't have a dedicated writer there. So, um, you know, because when I work with Katie Dippold, she's always there. Mm-hmm. You know, and Katie did, did work on the script, definitely. Um, and uh, so she was with us for a few weeks, handing in notes, and then that's why she's in the movie, too. She's in the you know, one of the CIA workers. Um, but, yeah, we'll do, like, one to two weeks with different writers that we just know and love who will come in and they sit there, we give them always give them just a stack of post-it notes and they'll just kind of write things in the moment, and hand them to me. So I've, at the end, I've got this massive paper of all these post-it notes falling all over the place. but so just like calling them in because it's all about in the moment. you know you, you can predict only so much when you're writing you know, in your office or just in a you know, sterile place versus you're on the set, you're seeing how they're interacting, you're seeing like, oh, God, it's so funny that you just did this. Or something happens in the moment that you're like, oh, let's play with this and let's get a line for that. You know, but I write a ton of stuff as we're going along. And then obviously Melissa and the actors, who are great, then they'll improvise. So it, it's kind of controlled chaos, yeah. but it, then you have this kind of embarrassment of riches at the end. So I imagine a lot of a scene like this especially comes together in the edit and...
0: <laughs> You know, you, you talk a little bit about famously testing your, your movies. And, I, and watching them, I just prepare. I watched kind of all of them back to back. And I was thinking hmm. about um, the, the Larry Gelbart quote that Woody Allen makes fun of in Crimson Misdemeanors, which is um, if, uh, if it bends, it's funny. If it breaks, it's not funny. Yeah. Which, though Woody Allen was making fun of it, I think is actually incredibly accurate about um, <laughs> the balance that I think you try to create. So, you know, in a scene like this, when you 're editing to see how much comedy goes in, you know how are you calibrating that, and what do you think you went for?
1: It's, I mean, it, you have to know that first of all there's a lot of times if there 's a problem here it 's not the problem with this it 's the problem with something ten minutes mm-hmm. earlier because you set it, you set it in another way there so now it lessens the impact down there it's also sometimes it's just about joke fatigue, which, is, which can really happen, and, and that 's why I think a lot of studio comedies tend to have in the past kind of fallen down because you deal with this all the time. The studio's like, oh, we love that joke. Oh, where's that joke that we love? And so the instincts are like, oh, let's put all those jokes. They like them, but you don't realize that for the audience, it's just kind of the jokes don't mean anything anymore if, they, if there's too many. I mean, Bridesmaids was a real perfect example of this because when you first meet Rose the first time, when she turns around in that ridiculous giant dress and comes forward, we had we shot so much funny. It was supposed to be this scene where she's really like, oh... To, you know, to saying to Kristen, like, "Oh, did you come from work?" You know, and like, like yeah. putting down her clothes, and you know, and I, she thought she owned a jewelry store, but she couldn't compute that she actually worked in one, and and so we had all these really funny scenes that went on and on. But as we were testing and putting it together, we realized that was hurting the, the the speech contest because you go like, "Okay, well, they're all she's already hostile to her, so there's nothing there." Versus like, "Oh, if we just keep her completely benign." People still hate her. (laughs) I mean, the minute they see her in that dress, it cracks me up. Like, she literally does nothing bad when she first meets Annie. Everything's completely pleasant, and everybody's like, ooh, we hate Helen. So then, to, you know, so then if we were piling mean jokes on top of that, then you're like, okay, I'm done with her. Versus you slowly discover it in that, that speech contest of like, oh, she's competitive and weird and she doesn't like this friend. Then you, you know, go forward from there. And so it is, you're, we're constantly throwing out jokes, um, because you want the ones that land to land. You know, we have, my editor and I always say, like, you know, we don't want, singles or doubles, everything's got to be a triple or a home run. Yeah. Because you line up enough singles or doubles, and people are like, oh, they start to lose faith in you. And nothing worse than the audience goes, I think that was supposed to be funny. I think I was <laughs> supposed to laugh at that. Because then they're like, well, they don't know what they're doing. Versus I'd rather have less jokes than have the ones that hit land. Yeah. And I imagine with this, it's also balancing to make sure
0: you still feel like she's in danger It's somewhat, right? It's like, because this is really the first time we're seeing her fight.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, she's she's in other situations where she kind of, you know, muddles through it when she accidentally stabs the guy or when she's, you know, in the car chase, which I think is... I forget. That's then. That might be after this. I forget. No, I no it's know. not. They're no, fine. it's before. It is. You know, but she's still on the scooter, so she's got something. This is the first time she's hand to hand in there. So yeah. So you're really invested with her because you've seen her do some things, but she hasn't really kind of you know majorly kicked ass yet. And but that's what I love about this scene is kind of she finds her footing as she goes along. In the beginning, she's completely freaked out, and by the end, she's doing a whatever they call solar plexus or something. Yeah. I know this got some Susie. name when you do that and you crack somebody <laughs> down on their back. So it's a wrestling move, I'm told. Yeah.
0: Um, you know I was thinking like you're ultimately walking a line of having the audience take this thing seriously but not so seriously that they could still laugh at it and it reminded me of a a piece I wrote after Ghostbusters came out about I think some of the difficulty of the reaction was people took that movie so serious even the people that hated it for no reason, they took
1: it seriously, but then people who wanted to support it were like, this is a cause. Yeah, which I think kind of hurt us a little bit, because we became a bit, so much of a cause, I think for a summer audience, they're like, well, Fuck you! I don't want to go to yeah. a cause. I just want to watch a funny movie. You know, so it, it, it's you know it's a great regret in my life that that movie didn't do better because I really love it. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's not a perfect movie. None of my movies are perfect, um, but you know, but I just liked what we were doing with, and it was only supposed to be there to entertain people. And this has been so nice in the year plus since then. It's just kind of settled into just being a movie. Yeah. And the greatest to me, the greatest. Moment was when we won the Kids' Choice Award. We beat Star Wars and Captain America. You know, it kind of felt like you know, this is like there's kids who are just watching it, not bringing all the baggage of the, of the other one. And I lo- I love the the original yeah. one, but uh, so anyway.
0: Um, so the scene I, <laughs> uh, so the scene ends. Uh, reveal that Jude Law is working with Rose Byrne. Uh, and it made me think about the role of men in this movie, where, like, literally each one are creating a hostile work environment. <laughs> <Exactly>. um, <laughs> and it made me think about men in all of your movies, you know, considering that you're seen as a director that directs movie, funny movies with women.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, what do you think it is in this movie? What do you, how deliberate are you about how you do use men?
1: Well, I love professional women. And I've watched, over the years, professional women portrayed as having some problem with being, there. there's a problem in their life because they are dedicated to their career. So it's like, you've got to pick between your happiness or your job. It's like, fuck you for making that message. Because, it's true. I mean, I, all the women I know are into their jobs they're great at their jobs some have had families and some have happy married lives or some that have had the married life fall apart some have had the other but it's all not based on the job and it's just based on what they want to do and I love the theme of female friendship I, I I just find that bond that I've seen with my wife and her friends or with my friends you know girls that i 've known and women that i 've known those friendships are so different than male friendships sometimes sometimes they 're not, but I just like I just like to see that you know I mean it, the funny thing my, my, most of my movies don 't really have a love interest in them yeah. you know other than maybe somebody 's kind of floating around but uh, I, it 's about women trying to find friends professional women trying to find like-minded friends that's what i loved about the heat was yeah. like here's two women who are really great at their jobs even though they've got you know whatever piccadillos they have but they've, they haven't really found a support team with with other you know with another woman and so the fact that that friendship happens i, I just i just really love that and and so really want always want to get that across yeah and it, so the it, men kind of take a backseat to that or their hindrances or you know yeah they're they're sort of
0: the how often females are using comedies is sort of like stop having fun or whatever and then you have these men being like you should not be allowed to do it right. but because they're men it's much more like
1: um patriarchal in this way of yeah i mean i look i should i'll hopefully move to a point someday where i'm fair to everybody but i feel like <laughs> there's men have gotten a pretty good <laughs> bill of health in most movies so i'm not going to worry about them as much you know sure. i like, never want to be a, you know portray somebody as a total monster sure. but um, but it's fine. You, you,
0: you talked about how you're you're drawn to uh stories of professional women and um you know I was thinking about you know I've heard you talk and how um you find meaning in the work that you do. And 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 over to a point of like you, you said you you decided not to have a family because you find so much meaning in the work. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about you know how having female characters allowed you to communicate the things you wanted to communicate about yourself that you would not be able to in male characters, in so much as Hollywood does not accept that story, from a, this story from a male character.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because, I mean, it, I don't know if I'd think consciously about it, but as I kind of look at it, I think it's just, I'm, I feel most in sync with people who are doubted or who aren't allowed to do what they want to do or are questioned more than they than somebody else would be and so that's why you know like I said earlier the theme of my movies is always in everything I write tends to be like trying to figure out what your place in the world is you know because that's I think we all struggle with that and you know and being an outsider or feeling like an outsider and so I guess I'm able to kind of work through either things I felt in the past. You know, I, you never feel comfortable. You know, I am I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm always I'm absolutely fucking terrified of not being able to get to do what I do anymore because you know, look, when you have a movie that doesn't do as well as it should, suddenly it's like it's a, you know, it's a mark off your off your, you know, whatever reputation and I I was in movie jail once already because yeah. you know, I was. I was in hardcore in movie jail because I, I did two movies. I did one thing called I Am David which no one ever saw ever. I think I think it's on Netflix now, but it's kind of a drama. But it, the stakes were low on that, even though it ate up three years of my life. Um, <laughs> I'm proud of it, but you know, I wouldn't do it again. Uh, but it, it was when I then did this movie called Unaccompanied Minors in 2006. This is like Christmas movie for Warner Brothers, which I was just like, I want to do a... a Feature film at a studio. I'd always heard how hard it is to do a studio film, the politics. I said, you know what? I'm just going to dive in. I was directing a lot of TV and thought this would be fun. So I went in, did this thing, and there's a lot of issues during when we were making it, like a week into, because it was based on a This American Life story um, about these kids that get trapped at an airport on snowed in at an airport on Christmas Eve, and they kind of create this de facto family with all these other kids of divorce. You know, so that's the one thing they have in common. They're all kind of divorced kids. Um, so we got a week into production and the head of the studio who had had some mishap and was in a, I believe he was in a coma for for a month or something, (laughs) had come out of his coma and read the script again and suddenly went, hey, this is really bad to divorced parents and I'm a divorced dad. So he called us up and said like we're shutting the down production until you take all the divorce stuff out of the out of it. I was like that's what the fucking movie is. Like I can't <laughs> I can't take that out. So the so we ended up having to weed all this stuff. And so it's kind of it's I, I'm, I'm proud of all my babies even the ugly ones. And uh <laughs> and you know that one, it just is what it is. It's just a big romp and you know and it's kind of for kids and it's it's you know it's something the kids could see on the Disney Channel. So why would they go to the movie theater to see huh. it? And Long story short, I just made it really long, um, it bombed, it did really bad, and suddenly, I, and I had all, they, they loved me at Warner Brothers, I'm so great to work with, blah, 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 all these projects they want me to do, and slowly, then uh, it's like, hey, it's like to dry up, and like, hey, what happened to that project? Oh, well, we're not sure yet, and you're like, oh, shit, I'm in movie jail, and it happened, I was suddenly like, all the things dried up, and so I'm doing TV, thank God, I was, you know, The Office and all these great shows, um, but I knew I was dead when Diary of a Wimpy Kid, they were going to do the first one. And I loved, I think those books are so funny. And I was like, I want to do that. You know, I had done Freaks and Geeks and all that. So, you know, the one thing I can do is kid stuff. <laughs> uh, and they all wanted me to do it. And then the last minute, like, the head of the studio was like, uh, we'd rather not have him do it. And it's like, oh, shit, if I can't get a kid's movie, <laughs> I'm dead. And so that's like, okay, it's all over. And unfortunately, you know, Judd had come to me with Bridesmaids. Uh, Pridesmaid. So, You pulled me out of movie jail. I know. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, John.
0: Talking about uh, purpose and... uh, So I was re-watching Spine and I'm sort of blown away by Melissa's performance. Like, it really is a showcase because she starts from one place and ends at another place, but also in between has to sort of play characters that she's moving through. And, you know, do you feel like showcasing is part of what your drive is as a director. You know, you said you're not a tour, but there is a certain amount of like, oh, many people go into comedy to express their sort of comedic point of view. But do you feel like your great skill or your great passion is the showcase of people with comedic
1: talent. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just want everybody to look great on screen and be great on screen. And and I was, ha- having, having been an actor for years, you know, I, I made my living being an actor for like 15 years. I was a regular on four different TV series that all died after the first season, except for the last one, which was Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which I was Mr. Poole. Finally, thank you. So yeah. <laughs> My greatest trying. <laughs> you know, but finally, like, I was like, oh, finally, I'm on a show that's a hit, and then they wrote me out. They're oh, yeah, they're like, we don't know how to write your characters. Like, I do, I could write it. For you. <laughs> yeah. um, but the fact that I was an actor for so long, I, that's, I think, my, my greatest skill. I'm not, look, I'm not a great filmmaker. I'm not, like, this great technical genius, but I think I'm really good at knowing what actors need to be at their best and how to look at them and go like, I know what is in you that I can make great and let's play on that. And how to create a safe environment where everybody feels like they can do anything they want and not me going like, hey, that's terrible. How dare you do that? You know, Because I don't know. Sometimes somebody will do something in a take and I'm like, that's awful. But I'm like, okay, thanks. And I get in the editing room and go like, that thing I thought was awful is the fucking funniest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And it works gangbusters. So I never dare to go like, that's wrong. The most thing I'll do is like, okay, cool. We got that, let's try this um but no i I really think i'm a fan first and foremost and that was what's so nice going when i was an actor when you're an actor i'm sure there's some actors here you are whether you admit it or not you're in competition with all the other actors (laughs) especially when you go to those auditions and there's or you just see people who are getting hot and you're like i could do that and it's such a terrible thing because then you're kind of like oh boo him or boo that person boo her and the minute you go behind the camera you go like I'm not in a position where I can hire all these people. It's the biggest relief. You're like, oh, good. Like that person I was in competition with. Yeah, they're fucking awesome. You know, like I was such a dick to kind of be against them, and now I can go like, I can use them and use them and mix and match. And that to me is the most fun thing. And that's, you know, when I'm casting, I loathe to like squander any role, even if it's got one line, even if it's got no lines. I mean, when we did the the heat, the Mullins family. That, you know, the, the, those dinner scenes were written really funny. Katie wrote the funniest script. But then there was like a couple of characters that were just sort of there. One was a girlfriend and one was a brother. And, you know, I know Jamie Denbo and Jessica Chafin and then Nate Cordry. I was like, would you guys just, like, just join us? Cause you're, you're Bostonites anyway. So you got, you can do the funny accents. <laughs> I mean, I love the Boston accent. It's the greatest thing for comedy ever. I said, so just be in the scene and we'll just kind of play around. And out of that, Everyone's got, like, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but like, Nate's got the thing about, are you a knock? Are you a knock? That, that was just this, like, improv he started doing with Sandra Bullock, and suddenly it's this, like, centerpiece of the scene, and then Jamie Denbow's doing something about where she thinks Sandra Bullock's a guy, and you know, and, and, and so, but you go, know, like, if I had just cast some extras or if i gotten some, you know, just sort of functional performers, none of that would have happened, you know? And, and so I'm just very much about don't waste a second of film on anything, even like my end credits. Like I even just the end credits, you'll see that I always do some graphic thing or something funny because, you know, I always hate when you turn a movie on cable and it's over and it's just like that endless crawl of white letters on black with some crappy song playing. It's like, don't waste that time. Now that stuff all is on the air. So let's, you know, let's use every second we can.
0: Um, You make, you know, big (laughs) comedies, comedies for a lot of people and comedies that make money internationally, which never happens. Mm -hmm. You know, And to a point where you're like, there's people who want to make cult comedy. What is about you that wants to make comedy for large audiences?
1: Um, I, you know what I did when I did my first indie film, I am David. Now that it was a comedy, it had some. I tried to inject some comedy into it. But you work so hard, no matter if your movie's giant or if it's small. I didn't like, I want everybody, I want the most amount of people to see my movies, and I want the most amount of people as possible to be entertained by them. So, realized early on, is like, let's try to service everybody with this. Keep your story personal, make the story you want, inject all the personal, you know, things you want to have in it, but then write it on a bigger canvas, you know, and that's why I love the test screenings, because... There's things I would probably keep in movies that I think are really funny that like a test audience doesn't, but it's like, if, I, if I'm going to make like a little indie, sure, I, I would do that. I'd maybe keep that stuff in, but I'm also like, I, I want to entertain the audience. I don't want to be the asshole going like, oh, you know, when it was a stand-up. There was always be like guys who would like do a joke and the audience wouldn't laugh. They'd go like this. They'd go, Whoa. you know, it's, it's over their head. And I'd go like, no, no, it's right here. They hit them and it wasn't funny and don't be a dick for, you know, yeah. thinking you're funnier than they are. <laughs> So, I, yeah, yeah, I just want, I want to entertain
0: people. So, you know, there's the theatrical version. There's this unrated version, where, which this clip came from. Um, and so I was trying to think of, you know, what is your relationship to, like, what is the movie? Is the movie the theatrical version? Is it this? Or is the movie the three months you spent working on the six months you spent working on it? You know, when you think of Spy, do you think this clip, do you th- or do you think the time you spent doing it?
1: Oh, I mean, it's you know what? It's hard to separate it out. It's really what's great about filmmaking is is the experience is so fun. The fun you have with the people you're working with, the the energy of finding the thing that's right, of of the mistakes that you make, and then figuring out how to solve them. I love the editing room is one of my favorite places. You know, nothing my editor and I love more than when like there's a problem like how are we going to solve it? We're like what do we pull out? You know, my movies are always way too long when we put them together. <laughs> I mean, the first cut of Ghostbusters was four and a half hours long, which I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> uh, um, you know, but then it's the fun of like, okay, what, what don't we need and like paring it down and paring it and making it all kind of concentrated. But then there's always a point where I pare it way down and it's so, sh- it's, it yeah. just doesn't work. And so you got to put more air into it to let things breathe and all that. So it just, it, it's a constant work. But I mean, I would say, like, I don't have a director's cut. People always say, oh, I wish we'd sell you a director's cut. It's like, I, the movie I release is the director's cut. Sometimes I'll kind of like the extended a little bit more. I like the extended of Ghostbusters a little bit more because we're just able to sit in a few, you know, character things, but it would have been two hours and 15 minutes long which you just can't put yeah. that out. And actually, when we shortened that stuff down, our test scores went way up. So, you know, but I, I still, you know, but again, like we talked about earlier, it's just, it's two different things. Yeah. And I, I love them all. Yeah. all right,
0: so uh, now it's time for the final segment. <laughs> it's very
1: uh, subtle i like that that was on purpose wow so, nice uh, <laughs> the segment's called Smooth. the, la- the <laughs> laughing
0: ground so it's a laugh and a thunder because there's no the thunder is the sonic of a lightning and laughing because it's like a lightning round but because it's funny
1: uh, keep, keep going keep keep explaining <laughs> so, so uh
0: i thought it'd be good to end with something like that but uh you want it to sound funny so you, I put laughing together.
1: I like it. Great. Well done. (laughs) You better like it because you're in it now. Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh,
0: Lightning round rules apply. You can answer fast, but you can also answer slow, it's whatever. Uh,
1: Do you have a favorite
0: joke, 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 street joke?
1: You know what? I am so lousy at knowing jokes. Um, There's one that makes me laugh. It's kind of dirty, but. That's fine.
0: Is that okay with everybody? (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I am gonna, and I tell jokes terrible. My father was a master raconteur. He could tell jokes great. I tell them terrible. So please, Uh, a guy is at home and his new neighbor comes over and, and he says, Hey, I wanna let you know I'm having a party tonight. He goes, Oh, cool. What's gonna, what's going on at the party? He goes, Oh, there's gonna be dancing and fighting and fucking and more dancing and more fucking and then food and then more fucking. And the guy's like, Wow. Sounds like an awesome party. Uh, who's coming? He says, "Oh, it's just gonna be you and me." <laughs> so.
0: um, in your in your script for Ghostbusters, did you refer to him as Slimer or Onion Head?
1: Uh, we call him Slimer, but I, I knew that Onion Head was the uh, his original his original. So you're name. like, no, no one's gonna. Know <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, do just you have a favorite hardcore. tie? <laughs> Uh, the last one I wore. <laughs> Please describe it. I love, I love them the ball. No, no, I mean whatever the one I <laughs> oh, sure. wore last. I love all my ties. Sure. Thank you. Um, Lame do you answer. Have a
0: f- favorite, well, favorite or sort of least favorite or thing that came out funniest—that a line that he had to change for the plain version of a movie. Oh,
1: <laughs> I've just—I step away from those oh, really? things. Yeah, you know what? They send them to me to approve. I'm like, it's so fucking depressing. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'd rather not have my hands on it, so people just go like, "What is this thing?"
0: As a person who pitches jokes to people, do you remember the least funny joke you ever pitched a person to improvise, and then they said it out loud, and
1: you're like, "That was..." <laughs> oh God, so many, Jesus! <laughs> I, 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 it's a constant struggle not to do like dad jokes, you know. Yeah. So I, the most humiliating experience I had was I, when I was uh, like a, a co-EP on the, on the Office. And um, I, they brought me on, because I'd been directing a bunch in the previous seasons, they brought me on to be full-time. And they said, you can be in the writer, writer's room, too. So that was great. So I'm in there with all these brilliant writers, and they're kicking jokes around. And you're kinda, you have your kind of go-to type of jokes that you do, and so they're kicking a joke around, and it's coming around to me, and I'm like, I'm going to destroy. It. Here it <laughs> comes. And I pitch out some joke, and silence. And they're all looking at me, and they're all like ten to twenty years younger than me. And I go like, "Oh fuck, I'm the old man in the room who just pitched a dad joke." And so it's the greatest lesson ever. Go like, you know what? You gotta you gotta bring in all ages to help you with jokes because you know it's easy to ripen and rot. Yeah. So I'm
0: calling this, uh, I guess, question "Freaks and Geeks," and so it's another thing that rhymes with "eek." So you have to. Name that thing that runs at Eek, and then how the show
1: would be. What's that third group? Wow. Uh, freaks and geeks and Greeks, I guess. And <laughs> it would all take place in Antiparos, so that we could just be having a party all day. There you go. That's there an answer go. to that question.
0: Uh, if he had to do a sequel tomorrow to Heat, Spy, or Ghostbusters, what do you think you would... Right now, what do you want to do? A
1: uh, Spy. Okay. Yeah, I love Spy. I, I, I just want more more of that character, and I want more Rick Ford. <laughs> I want more Jason Statham. <laughs> he kills me.
0: <laughs> How likely do you think it would happen, a Spy Two?
1: No plans. <laughs> the movie did not make enough money for the studios' taste. So oh. I know. I've noticed I've never made a sequel yet. Okay. It's not for la- not for one lack of trying, but you know, like he <laughs> made a lot of money. Yeah, like Sandra didn't want to do another one, so there's always
0: something. So this is the last one. I heard you used to make up bad ideas for sitcoms and then write the theme songs for that sitcom. Uh, I was wondering if you'd be willing to play one of those... Yeah, songs. Yeah,
1: okay, I can, I can. I had, a, he, he, I, full disclosure, he'd asked me about 20 minutes before I came out. I haven't picked up a guitar in a long time, but I have one that I remember so, but I, I, I did have to write the chords down. Not the words, it's just the chords. And so, now they'll bring out the guitar and microphones? Thank, there you go. This is, prepare to be underwhelmed, I guarantee that. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Is there a pick? Oh, there's a pick. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Wait, wait, I'm going to move out so I don't smash your friend's guitar against the table. There we go. Oh, God. This is going to be... Can you hold that out for me? Thank you so much. I'll be here. All right. So, so I, yeah, I'm, I was always obsessed with, um, like, just bad TV shows. And uh, I love high-concept bad TV shows because there's nowhere to go other than the one-line pitch. Um, and so this is a, this is a really dumb... TV show. I also like the shows that used to have the theme song that told you what the show's about, like Gilligan's Island and all those (laughs) things. So this is that. Oh, boy, this is going to be rough. All right, here we go. (laughs) Bob Finkel needed a roommate. His rent was just too high. He put an ad in the paper to find another guy. A fellow came to Bob's place, and soon a friendship grew. The next next day this guy moved in, but his name's Bob Finkel, too. Bob? Bob who? Hey, there's a phone call for Bob. Bob who? Which one? I don't know. Oh, I give up. It's a real kooky setup, so don't bother to get up from your TV chair. Cause they're Bob who, what a crazy pair.
0: Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Have Always a good, smash good. A guitar. That's it for this week's episode of Good One. You can download or rent all of Paul Feig's movies on iTunes, Amazon, or wherever you download or rent movies online. His next feature, A Simple Favor, will be out in 2018. Follow Paul on Twitter at Paul Feig. Good One is produced by Jordan Bell and Jennifer Lai. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, you know, maybe tell them. What the heck? You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I am Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back with a new episode next Monday. Have a good one.